The biggest battle we will ever have to face is the battle between you and you. It's the battle of taking your mind to that limit and then breaking through. On the Mindful Experiment podcast, we will share concepts, universal laws, and interviewing individuals who have done just that, who have gone through the dark times and through those moments, allowed their light to shine bright. I'm your host, Dr. Rick Manzo, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and taking this journey with me as we discover different avenues to break through those limits, expand your reality, and evolve into the person you desire to be. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Dr. Vic, and you are listening to The Mindful Experiment. Each week, we have someone we interview that is all about the mindful experiment of life, taking things to the next level on how to help you thrive, expand, evolve into your life to discover your infinite potentiality. This week, we had the distinct honor and pleasure to interview Peter Montoya, this amazing individual, very high energy, passionate individual. It was fun to have on. We went through a variety of different topics, talked about the power of community and so much more. To tell you a little bit about Peter, for over two decades, Peter was the financial industry's go-to guru on marketing and branding. Now he's the CEO of Thrive Union, an organization whose mission is to fulfill a need in modern society, helping people go from meaningless isolation to purposeful belonging. Through Peter's struggle through school with undiagnosed ADHD, he was admitted to and graduated from the University of California, Irvine in political science. Post-college, he became a traveling speaker and salesman, chalking up over 3,000 presentations and living in over 22 major cities. Peter went on to found a successful advertising agency and software platform dedicated to financial service professionals. He quickly became the industry guru, writing numerous books and including one of his best-selling works, The Brand Called You. Peter is truly fascinated and multifaceted guy. You're going to tell in this interview, you'll see that. With decades of experience in speaking to audiences about his business knowledge, inspirational journey, and human behavioral insight, he now pursues his passion for empowerment and community building, shedding light on society's growing loneliness epidemic through his visionary organization, Thrive Union. Peter was a great person to interview. We had a lot of passion, a lot of crossover with what we do, a lot of terminology we use, uh, which makes it even better, in my opinion. And it was really a great uh, conversation. I definitely recommend getting a pen and paper out. He'll share a bunch of great things about eight ways to maximize your life and so many others. So I don't want to take any more thunder away from him. So for everyone listening, this is Peter Montoya. Well, Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dr. Vic. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm excited to have you on. I, I got to look at some of the stuff you sent me and uh, everything you're up to. I do a little bit of my due diligence before uh, I interview an indi- individual and uh, I-, I love what you're up to. The whole thrive, I'm all about that, being you know, thriving in life instead of surviving and all these things and the work that you're doing, I want to commend you for. So uh, I'm excited to have you on. I'm excited for this next uh, give or take hour to uh, just share space and uh, connect. So thank that you for being here. Me too. Thank you so much. I'm always interested, uh, and it's more of a selfish question, uh, but I know my listeners appreciate this too because I get the feedback. Is you know how did you get into this? How did what did life do to bring you to where you what you're doing now with Thrive Union and all the work that you're up to? 
it's always interesting the paths we take to get to who we eventually become. Because I went to school for political science thinking that I was going to be a politician, but I lacked the ambition and, and also sex drive for politics. So with a degree in political sciences, your, your, your options in life are kind of limited. You got law school, food services, or sales. Uh, and my first job out of college was a uh, I was really into personal development kind of early on in my late teens and early 20s and always absolutely completely and totally passionate uh, about the work. I love transformational work. Uh, so I really enjoyed uh, transforming myself and then being with other people who were transforming. It really is an exciting space to be in. But then as kind of luck would have it and uh, where I got pushed uh, was more toward branding and marketing. I wrote my first book on on personal branding. I had an advertising agency. I did a lot of speaking and um, marketing and branding in the financial services space. Then it transformed into a software company and then I finally sold it. And kind of where I ended up was so far from where I started and where I wanted to be, which was in helping people transcend uh, their lives and reach their fulfillment. Uh, I was now able to actually do the work I was meant to do, which I felt was my purpose and my calling, which is helping people transform, uh, connecting people in community, and then ultimately doing things to help the survival of our species. I love that. And isn't it fun too in this space, you can, you, the feeding off of energy. No oh, gosh, it's amazing. grabs you up. Uh, it's absolutely incredible. It's, it's like no other business being around people who are all um, in transformation. I love that. And so I know you're a big component of community massively. I, I want to just let you take the show on this. I, I'll ask questions as it comes up, but you know, what, you know, what's the, why is community important? What's, why are well, let me go take that step back. Why are you passionate about community? Let's go back to the, the basics. I'm sure you've probably heard about the longest longevity study uh, out of Harvard. You familiar with that one? Um, I may have. I'll, I'll have, right. have you speak it up and then I'll see if I, I'll let you know if I know it. So back in the 1930s, Harvard began a longevity study, and they started by with a couple hundred 20-year-old um, men, who half of them were um, sophomores at Harvard, and the other half were blue-collar young men and kids of blue-collar families in Southie. Many of them did not have indoor plumbing. And what these researchers from Harvard were most interested in is what leads to a long-lasting, long happy, fulfilling life. So they went and started interviewing these men every single year for the last 80 years. There's still a handful of them still alive in their 90s. Um, they went and measured everything you can possibly imagine. They interviewed them. They interviewed their parents at the time and brothers and sisters. They interviewed their friends. They looked at every single marker you can possibly imagine. Uh, education, genes, blood. They, did, they took blood samples. Uh, they looked at uh, their regimen as far as their relationships and how they worked out or exercises, what kind of jobs they had. And these men had very predictable lives. Um, many of them went off to World War II as they were born in the 20s. They were in, in their you know, they were born in 1920s. They were in their 20s and the 40s. They went to World War II. Many of them died. Some of them became bricklayers and researchers and uh, attorneys. One of them even became president of the United States. That was uh, John F. Kennedy. Uh, they became uh, secretaries of state. They went had all sorts of varying lives. And through all that research, what they basically looked at is who had the longest happiest, most fulfilling life and looking at every single factor you can possibly imagine, genes, marriage status, children, no children, uh, education. Dr. Vic, what do you think was the number one criteria for living a longer, happier, fulfilling life? 
Community. Quality of relationships. There it yeah. is. All boils down to quality of relationships. Now, at the same time, our, our country for the last 100 years has been going 100 miles in the opposite direction. We have been very well entrenched in the prosperity doctrine. And the prosperity doctrine at its heart has a big giant lie, which is success equals happiness. So we've all been kind of baked into this American dream that we want our own house, which is kind of a castle of sorts, preferably removed from everybody else, or at least on a quiet cul-de-sac with big giant walls, a front exterior of the house, which is kind of walled off from everybody else, and our own private fiefdom inside. We can have our large screen TV, unlimited Wi-Fi, our cell phones if we want to, a TV in every bedroom so everyone's isolated, and we have basically achieved that, and we are sicker than ever. We are more lonely, more isolated, more anxious, more suicide and depression than at any time. We have achieved the American dream as we thought it was, and it's just not working for us. We've absolutely got to make a fundamental shift in our society away from prosperity and moving toward fulfillment. I, I couldn't agree with you more on everything you just shared there. I, I think it's, it's, uh, one of my mentors in chiropractic says that humans house, the house of a human is just a prison, uh, mm -hmm. encaged animal. And we don't go out like we are designed to, to interact with other individuals and so much more. Have you ever been, uh, the, I, I'm, I'm familiar with that study. I didn't know it was from Harvard. So I, I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, do you ever read the book called the blue zones and they, they study, right. And, and in there, same thing. One of the big things that I saw when I read that book was a lot about, um, the relationships in with families and how like mm -hmm. the giving the grandparents a purpose and why they would live longer having their grandchildren around and being with the family there and still having purpose and doing work and all those types of things um, that kept them. They said, cause I, I mean, I love in my realm in health, everyone's always looking for what's the main diet, right? What's the thing that is going to give you the healthiest lifestyle possible. And uh, I come from the other side of that argument saying, well, where's your relationships at? I'm an mm -hmm. Italian background individual. I grew up Italian, Italian parents. And it's like, we break bread. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have time with families and friends and we have big meals. And uh, if you look at people today, it doesn't happen as often. No, absolutely not. I mean, you know, to, up till about, uh, you know, even 100 years ago, maybe even 50 years ago, uh, if you wanted to be in community as a homo sapien, all you had to do was open your front door. And inside, outside of your door were your neighbors and friends and family, uh, which you relied upon for your very survival. And being in community now, now requires most likely a car, a date, a time, uh, and a meeting place. And it actually is work for us to be in those very natural um, relationships that we desperately need for our psychological health. So was the American dream selling to the public, to the American dream, was that a big thing that it, uh, pulled us away from community or are there other influences too? I know like social media is another one. Um, what, what's your opinion on all that? What do you think? Yeah. So, it, it, well, the prosperity doctrine probably started 120 years ago with a really famous speech called Acres Full of Diamonds. Uh, it was done by a, a Baptist minister who went around the country and more or less told people it was okay to be rich. Because up until that time, most people believed one had to be um, 
pious in order to be poor in order to be pious. And he completely changed that on his head and basically said, it's okay to make a profit. It's okay to make money. And it's okay. If you are um, rich, you are now blessed, which makes your journey onto heaven much more easier. That was the value set uh, of that. And then more or less pushes on a path of hyper individualism, more or less, you know, if it is to be, it's up to me. Uh, it's about absolute responsibility and making it happen. And I, I was, I'm living embodiment of that as an entrepreneur and more or less you kind of build this world of hyper isolation. You have a, a private office, which you're alone in, you're interacting with technology and technology by and large or social media specifically is what's called a uh, psychologist call a, um, symbolic substitute. It's where we think we're getting what we need when we're actually not. So when we're on social media, we kind of think we're getting the human interaction that we need, but it's not actually scratching the itch the way it's supposed to. Uh, then we get in our cars, which are nothing more than mobile isolation chambers, uh, and get back into our houses. So I put the fault of our isolation, uh, obviously on, on our values. That's what's where it first starts. Then we have these isolated houses, isolated cars, and technology, which isolates us. So those are the three forces which are really ripping us apart right now. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's funny how when I talk to certain people and they'd be like, oh, I have community. I'm, I'm part of these groups on Facebook or I'm part of this group here. And I always look at that. I'm just like how in my, I love what you brought up there. Like it's, you think you're getting what you need, but you're really not. It's and, highly unlikely that they are. It's possible. I'm not in that community. I'm not inside their body, but most likely they're not getting what they need. No. And so how, you know, I'm all about, you know, solution as you're an entrepreneur, right? We, we find problems. What's the uh -huh. solution? So right. it, how do we, before I'll share some, you know, some of the things that I, I've, we've, I've done massive studying on, because uh, that's why I love this topic of community. What is, um, how do we correct this? How do we shift from this? How do we, you know, or um, is there a difference between a micro and macro community? I mean, you know, let, let's, let's get into this. Yeah. So, you know, our company, Thrive Union, is a company dedicated to solving what I think is the largest problem we're facing in Western society, which is lack of connection and community. So we're here in Orange County, California, and we have a thriving community uh, that is based on radical belonging, uh, complete and total acceptance, uh, and all geared around the philosophy of fulfillment, which we've been talking about here today, which is the school of positive psychology uh, blended with some longevity studies and behavioral economics. Um, and so that's what we're doing. We have regular meetings uh, on a regular basis. So every single Sunday, we've got a meeting called Thrive Sunday, where we do a connection, we do calm, we do meditation. Uh, and then also we have some kind of content, which is some personal development. And people get in there every single week and they get their connection fix um, for the week. Then also we've got all sorts of social events, uh, which is, you know, a docs and discussion, documentary discussion nights. We do supper clubs, we do hikes, and we do volunteer work. But people more or less have got to make a shift. They've got to decide to break the habit that is killing them, which is being at home alone on their technology. So technology is at its very best when it helps us connect. Technology is at its worst when it's a replacement for human connection. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, uh, as I was saying earlier um, about community and what it does to the brain, I mean, mm. I have a mentor who's a, one of the top chiropractic neurologists out there, and he says, when people are depressed, go do something for somebody. Mm -hmm. Go be with somebody. And they're like, we don't understand. We know there's a human connection. We understand the human spirit. We understand that we're, we're um, what's the word? I can't think of it off the top of my head, but we're, we're designed to be in groups and community. We're mm -hmm. designed to, uh, from a neurological standpoint, but he's like, but what happens when you're in community radically changes the brain and actually um, helps you um, 
get happier and be more in a blissful state and give you that longevity that you were talking about. All the neurology supports that. Completely and, and, and totally agree. Community actually absolutely is the magic pill uh, for health. And maybe a little bit overstating, I certainly understand that there are serious and real psychological ailments and community is not going to solve it. But for most of the low-lying ones which we're suffering from, depression, anxiety, uh, community does so much to solve those issues. Yeah, and I think about two people, like when they have anxiety, or they have depression, uh, or just in issues in general with life, whatever shows up, right? A lot of people sometimes think that they're the only one that has is going through that, oh, yeah. right? Absolutely. And, and, yeah. and I, I truly believe the lack of community, they'd be like, you know what, I've been there before. I got you. I've been there before. Let me, yeah. And then they'll be like, what, what do you mean? No, you don't understand. Well, let me explain what I went through and let's see how we connect. And then all yeah. of a sudden, it's this magical energetic connection, emotional connection when they're like, wow, you've been there. Wow, I'm not alone. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's the word we put on that is empathy. Uh, and we think that empathy is critically important to our psychological health. And then also to the more macro problem of us, us as a species cooperating to solve uh, the large problems we face. I love that. Now, if, if someone's not in Orange County, how can we correct, uh, or if you have anything that you do that can help create a community outside on a, on a bigger level for people outside of there or um, things that you would recommend? So we certainly are on a path to uh, chapterize as we're continuing to streamline and home and affect um, our model here so we can have other chapters around the country. But until then, here's what I would tell for every single person listening to this podcast is go get yourself into a community. Um, you can go on to meetup, meetup.com and look for any interest you may have. Find some different groups, make a commitment to them and go to at least five of each meeting until you start finding a home. And whenever you go to one of those meetings, uh, here's how to be in a community. Number one, show up and show up often, even when it feels inconvenient to you. Even when you have the pull of your book or Netflix or uh, Facebook or whatever it is, you got to break that awful, terrible habit and go get in community. Number one, you got to show up. Number two, when you arrive at that community, you've got to engage. You cannot sit there kind of waiting for someone to come talk to you. You've got to walk in there smiling, happy, and ready to engage with every single person. Put yourself out there. And number three, raise your hand. When they say, hey, we need somebody to help with this, you raise your hand and you jump right in. Now, here's the amazing thing about volunteering, if you, especially if you're suffering from a lack of belonging, is all of a sudden when you volunteer, you're in the in-group. As soon as you become a leader of some sort, you belong. So it's, you might be thinking, oh, I don't want to spend all this effort giving to this other group or this volunteer group. It's not about them. It is about you. Because <laughs> when you lead, you are in the in-group. You are doing something incredibly important to your psychological health. Stop thinking of it as an expense. It's probably the most important health benefit investment you can make. Yeah, I, I agree, especially at the end there too. Like how many times we look at things that are a cost versus an yes. expense and, or I'm sorry, cost yeah, versus, versus investment. An investment and how many times people get so caught up in a price that it, it's funny too, because in my world, I see this all the time, but it's one of those things where it's like, but do you realize the benefit and who you'll be if you do this and invest in yourself and it's an investment because you're getting a reward from it. Whereas like an expense is, I don't know, buying, um, garbage bags because you got to have throughout the garbage. I mean, it's just, it, it, yeah, it gets the garbage out of your house, but other than that, what else does it provide for you? There's nothing that's going to be a return uh, interest on that invest, uh, that cost. Right. It is amazing the thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars that most people spend every single month on things that is making them less happy. Uh, cell phone, internet, uh, movies, 
fast food, uh, and how little they spend on the thing that's probably most important to them, which is community. So I would imagine the average American spends less than $25 or $50 a month on community and probably thinks it's too high. Community is what's going to bring the most um, value to their life, and they're spending the least amount of time and energy on it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Now, I know you have a, a life school, and I'm really mm-hmm. curious to know. I know you do it online in real world, and in, 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 uh, I'd love to know more about what is that. What, a life school, I think, is so phenomenal. I love that. So, uh, mm-hmm. curious to know what it is and uh, to dive deep in for the listeners. So, Dr. Vic, do you remember that school that you, that class you took uh, in high school, which taught you about um, emotional intelligence? Uh, responsibility, uh, effective communication, relationships. Uh, do you remember that class? Yeah, I, I went to a Catholic high school, so of course it was there. No, <laughs> not, not at all. Totally not at all. <laughs> uh, did you have the same talk, uh, doctor, uh, same uh, professor I had, which is uh, Dr. Hardnox? Did you have him? Oh, man, he's a tough one. <laughs> That's how most of us learn how to fumble through life is through a lot of trial and error. And what happens for a lot of us is we oftentimes adapt, uh, create um, very, very, uh, some behaviors or some solutions to solving problems that ultimately don't work. They are short-term solutions that keep us unhappy or miserable uh, and don't provide good, healthy, long-term relationships and or results that we want in our life. So I grew up in uh, personal development, which had a lot of motivation type energy behind it, which I was never really a big fan of. And now I understand why, because the best motivation is intrinsic and it comes from having a purpose. Uh, Purpose is another thing we never learned in school. We probably heard about it, but never really learned it. Uh, So we have a live school, which is both online. People can go to youtube.com slash Thrive Union, and you will find free online uh, over 40 different educational videos on every topic you can possibly imagine on how to improve your life. And what people use it for is more or less they have something they're thinking about, whether it be a relationship issue or grief or they're dealing with passive aggressiveness or something along those lines, they can go onto our page, uh, watch a video, and actually learn how to improve their lives on a regular basis. The videos are only five minutes long. They're free. They're super educational, and you can learn just an absolute ton by watching these little videos. I love it. And we'll have that in the show notes for everybody, all the listeners, so you guys can get connected with all that fun stuff. Um, I think it's fascinating. I think that that is still true. Like, Who's teaching? Who's the, you know, the people, the school system's not going to do something like that. So it has to be people like yourself who are creating something like this to give people some tangible results, especially in a, a very information driven, uh, left brain, logical thinking world that we're in. Um, it's one of those things where what is how to deal with some of those things? How can we get through it, you know, and how can we use, have some tools? I wish I had those tools growing up. Uh, but you know, life, is what it is and your path is your path. But at the same token, it's like, I wish I had the tools because I would have been able to make things a little easier and be able to be better at what I was doing. Oh, that's awesome. I love uh, open-minded people like you, Dr. Vic, because what I've discovered is the most resistant people to any kind of personal de- uh, personal development are the people who absolutely need it the most. So what happens is when I found when people become completely unempowered, they get even more defensive. They get less open to new ideas, less open to coaching, less open to help, which completely contradictory. You would think the person who's hurting the most would most want help, but no, you can always look at the, you know, kind of the emotional intelligence, emotional health of somebody by how open they are to outside learning so they can actually live a better life. 
I love that. And I think, I think the, 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 the emotional intelligence is so much more critical, so much more important than IQ, what we focus so much on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for the listeners, can you explain a little bit about what the emotional intelligence is? I know we've had, I've shared a little bit about it. I've had some other people do. Love to hear how you explain emotional intelligence. Yeah. Emotional intelligence to me is all about how quickly you can adapt to the changing environment around you. For people who have low EQ, they basically want to change the environment to try to, to adapt it around them, and they are a constant conflict with the world. These are the people who are always complaining about how the world is versus actually adapting themselves to make the world work for them. They, they kind of the, someone with low IQ, they would get into the ocean, and they're getting pounded by waves all the time. That's kind of the metaphor. The person with high <laughs> EQ is the one person who knows how to get around either over the waves, under the waves, or use the wave to actually ride it. Uh, high EQ people are very mature. They understand what's happening. Low uh, EQ people are always complaining about the way things are. So simple. I love that. And it's kind of like a fixed mindset versus a, a, growth, mindset. a, a growth mindset, right? Yeah. The exact same thing. Dr. Carol DeWick, right? Exactly. And we've got uh, a video on that, by the way, uh, Growth versus Six Mindset on our live school. Yeah, I love it. So check that out. That is huge. I think uh, um, I, from my perspective, I, I'm always looking at ways to like hack ways to learn faster to do things more. And I've learned that um, when you have an open mind, open mind you, you don't restrict any information and you just open like a child does and pours it all in. And you can really accelerate your learning that way in so many different things. So true. I mean, if you didn't know how to golf, you would go to a golf range, you would hire a golf pro or take a golf class, and you would learn everything they do. However, when people are suffering in their lives, in their relationships, for some reason, they don't apply the same philosophy. They don't say, oh, gosh, I'm clearly failing here. I'm clearly in pain. I clearly don't know what I'm doing. Let me reach out to either a friend or a coach or a book or a class and learn how to fix what I'm doing. For some reason, it doesn't translate the same way for a lot of people. Any reason you think behind why that is? Oh, gosh. Uh, maybe a, la- a lack of humility. Uh, humility is one of my uh, master values uh, in that uh, I really believe, uh, number one, I am not perfect. I know that I'm not perfect. Uh, it never will be perfect. So, and also, I know I'm not the best I'll ever be. So, therefore, I know that uh, there are things that I'm doing right now which are not working. So, I want to identify those things that are not working, and I want to change them as quickly as possible. Uh, humility to me is the speed at which you can admit you're wrong. Humility is the speed at which you can actually change. So embracing a humility mindset is absolutely critical for people who want to grow. I love that. It's so true. Knowing that, you know, you know, we're not perfect and that uh, sometimes I always tell people that we're, we're, we're learning and uh, like, I love how you said, did you have the school? <laughs> did you, did someone, did you take a class on this? Did you get this manual or like I, I, I with parents, cause I, I'm a pediatric chiropractor. So I do a lot of parents will be like, you didn't get a manual on how to raise a child. So you're mm-hmm. gonna, you can read some books. You can, you know, try to get, get it all figured out. But then when it happens, whole different ball game. But knowing that you're learning and not, you know, because I always reference back to children. Children don't get upset when they can't, first time they try to walk, they fall and go, man, I'm so stupid or man, I'm this. They, they don't have that. Right. It's like, oh, I learned another way, not how to walk. Okay, great. Right. Let me try this now. Oh, right. you know what? Here it is. Now I learned another way. Let me keep going until I figure this out. So a right. uh, little advice there for all the listeners out there. Now, when it comes to, you know, I think talk, um, you, a couple things here I, I think we'll have some fun discussing about is, you know, how can individuals make like better decisions in life when it comes to just, just life in general? Um, 
So, you know, meditation is really important. And the reason that meditation is so incredibly important is it teaches us uh, metacognition. Uh, metacognition is to think about what you're thinking about. So, uh, science is, at least the last I've read on it, is science still hasn't quite figured out what is consciousness. Uh, but we, how we seem to understand it is consciousness is the part of your brain that's listening to the chorus of voices. And I used to think that I had, I just talked to myself like it was one person in there. But the more I've lived life and the more I pay attention to myself, I realize I have a chorus of voices inside of my head. Uh, and so my consciousness is that voice that is hearing that chorus of voices. So what medita meditation and metacognition does is it helps you slow down your thinking, become more aware of the voices that are in your head actually making those decisions. Uh, and the goal is to move away from determinism really into what we'll call free will. So determinism is the idea that all of your decisions are actually being made for you by your subconscious mind before you're even aware of them. Uh, and free will is we are actually making uh, decisions uh, based on logic on your uh, frontal cortex. So metacognition helps you slow down to understand the voices in your head that are driving your decisions so you can stop and not make them automatically uh, and actually change your thoughts, which we call transcognition. I love that. Is that also too then with meditation, is that a way for an individual to um, be more aware of their like subconscious, their, um, you can go in limited belief systems, you can go into, we can go down a rabbit hole with all that, but is that, is that part of it in that way also? Oh, absolutely. So meditation helps you become more self-aware, helps you also lower your anxiety. So when you're, as you're becoming aware of your thoughts, you're not judging them in any way. You're not shaming yourself. You're not guilting yourself. You're just becoming aware of your thoughts. And once you become aware of your thoughts, you can then start controlling and changing your thoughts. So meditation, excuse me, meditation is incredibly uh, potent uh, for actually becoming aware and changing your thoughts. Now, with the thinking process of meditation and how it makes you more aware and all those types of things, um, how does that influence then life when it comes to like, uh, you know, thinking to create, thinking is a matter, thinking is uh, creates alignment and manifestation and X, Y, Z. How does that help improve you to have more free will and allow you to create the things that you want to do in your life to more happiness and X, Y, Z? Yeah. So, um, what separates us from other mammals is our large prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex controls a executive function, function. It also helps us understand consequences and do long-term planning. Uh, when we're not thinking in our prefrontal cortex, we're largely going based on our amygdala, our basal ganglia. Uh, we're largely moving, reacting to things day in and day out. So the more you meditate, not only does it actually um, help divert more focus to, uh, from the brain power to your prefrontal, cor prefrontal cortex, uh, it'll also increase the size of it <laughs> and it further calming down your uh, amygdala on a regular basis. So meditation is absolutely critical if you want to make better life decisions. And just for the listeners, uh, you can Google Hebb's Law and you'll understand a little more in depth about uh, how that all works. Peter, have you ever heard of Hebb's Law? No, please tell me. So Hebb's Law is uh, it's a neurology principle that states nerves that fire together wire together. The more you keep firing nerves that wire together, um, nerves that fire together, they will start to wire together more. And that's how you create more neural reprogramming. That's why the, the frontal lobe will build when you're meditating because you're shutting off responses 
to the uh, temporal lobe or the amygdala specifically uh, and the basal ganglia areas and you start to wire new wiring to the frontal lobe and that will start to develop more. That's why blood flow goes there and all that fun stuff. So that's uh, for the listeners out there. If you really want to know the neuroscience behind it, just Google Hebb's Law. It's really fascinating stuff there. Um, that looks like a, one of our, a future topic for us for one of our life school videos. Um, I mean, you will see that one. It looks really important. What I've always talked about is neuroplasticity, which I'm assuming is part and parcel with the same thing. It is, exactly, yes. Uh, same thing, just a different uh, principle in there. So like everything that we've been talking about, you know, think to create, <clears throat> we're talking about making better decisions, uh, meditation, awareness, and all that. Um, it's more of pieces to the puzzle rather than just one thing. Correct? Correct. Is there anything else to those puzzles to help um, give you more enhancement in things in life to uh, more fulfillment, to more having, feeling happier and bliss and those types good, of things? Good, good, good. Great question. So we kind of um, did a lot of research into the areas we talked about earlier, which is positive psychology, uh, longevity, and also behavioral research. And we came up with eight principles to living a thriving life. Actually, we'll call it eight practices to living a thriving life. Uh, and let me do my darndest to see if I remember all eight of them right now. Uh, so we've already talked about calm which is actually having not only not only having a meditation practice where you're meditating hopefully every day for bare bones minimum five minutes, but also is just a focus toward calm. So, you know, earlier in my life, I was highly anxious, very angry. I was one of these business people who was kind of ferocious um, at my desk. And I thought anger, you know, was kind of the fuel that made me go. It was kind of running on adrenaline. And now I realize that anxiety and adrenaline, adrenaline and yelling at the phone or yelling at my computer or yelling at another car is really, really bad for my emotional health and really, really bad for my decision making. So now I really try to make myself as calm as possible. It is a focus of mine on a regular basis. So calm is one of those. Uh, another one is purpose, uh, and that is making sure that we are doing uh, not only something we're passionate about, not only something that um, we feel is valuable for mankind, uh, and something that we're good at. So we want to make sure that all three of those factors are fueled into something that gives us our purpose. Purpose is absolutely critical to living a longer, happier, more fulfilling life. Uh, another one is, is belonging. Uh, so belonging is having that tribe. Uh, Sebastian Younger is an author, uh, author and uh, journalist, and he talked about uh, did a lot of study and research into uh, foreign war veterans who are turning home, and a lot of them wanted to go back. And it wasn't the thrill so much of battle, but it was the sense of belonging they had. They you know they came back into this world of kind of you know freelance relationships and it just didn't make sense of anymore. They were used to being in, on the battlefield and literally needing the person to the left and the right for their very survival and being able to trust them with their lives. And when they came back to it, they oftentimes went through a lot of tr post-traumatic uh, tribal disorders, what he actually labeled it. So we really need to have a group where we belong. It's important to our psychological health. Uh, diet is absolutely critical and what's you know universal across every single study you can possibly imagine is sugar is really bad <laughs> so past that they all can contradict on uh, what is good or different we make very broad recommendations is uh, a lot more fruits and vegetables and a lot more lean meats is our very very broad uh, recommendation we recommend that when you go to the store you should really only be shopping around the outside perimeter where the natural unprocessed food is reduce your processed food and more natural food uh, exercise uh, at least 20 minutes more like 30 30 to 40 minutes three times a week. That is really important for keeping the blood flow going. 
that's another important one. Wholeheartedness is self-love. And I think that we are suffering uh, through massive disconnection massive loneliness um, and shame. Uh, so wholeheartedness is really important and wholeheartedness is really part and parcel with belonging. Once you get into a group who loves and accepts you, uh, the wholeheartedness usually follows as well. Uh, sleep, uh, another big one. And for some of us, sleep has become an enemy. People say dumb things like, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Uh, and the truth is we probably need, uh, even as adults, between seven and 10 hours a night of sleep. So the people who sleep longer we should be actually be um, reveling in them and not teasing them so much for liking sleep. Those are the, uh, I, think, I hope I got all eight of them, eight practices to living a fulfilling life. I love it. You got it, folks, right there. I mean, that's, I love the, you hit pretty much every arena on that. And uh, yeah, no, sleep is, uh, you know, Americans, I think we're averaging now 6.8 hours mm -hmm. of sleep. It might be 6.2. I know it's in the sixes. Um, and like you said, it's one of, in the business world, it's so much more, uh, encourage the grind and hustle even more um, than to get that sleep to restore yourself and so much more. One of the works that I do a lot is like vision and purpose. And, and I would love to pick your brain on that about how can an individual, because I really believe if you don't have a vision or a purpose in life um, and you're not crystal clear with it, it's kind of like saying, okay, I'm going to go north to this area or I'm going to go to this city, but I don't have not using the GPS. I'm just going to drive and I have no direction where I'm going. And hopefully I get there. How can an individual find purpose? So, uh, Purpose is the magic pill, well, at least one of the other magic pills along with community. And people who have purpose uh, live longer, happier, more fulfilled lives. They found that people in recovery from alcohol and drugs, as soon as they get a purpose, their recovery it lasts longer and they usually have sobriety either permanently or longer once they've got purpose. Uh, if purpose was a pill that a pharmaceutical produced, pharmaceutical company produced, it would become quickly <laughs> one of the biggest companies in the world because of the benefits it provides people. And the truth is, purpose is free. So you don't have to be living your ideal job or doing your ideal thing to have purpose. Purpose is available to all of us. So yes, I hope that you ask that your most important questions. You know, what do I love doing? What is the unique benefit that I can provide to human beings? What is, what am I really good at? That is um, the intersection of purpose and starting to move toward that. However, there are abundant stories uh, out there uh, in that, um, uh, with people who have purpose who are doing incredibly menial jobs. Uh, they inter in one study, they interviewed janitors who are working at a hospital. And they said, well, you know, what do you like about cleaning the hospital? How do you enjoy this job so much? You know, I'm not cleaning the hospital. Uh, I am say I'm creating a clean environment so people survive. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I remember hearing a study on that or it was in a book or something about that. And it's one of those things where um, I think that's hugely critical in life. Just I would take it just up there with community, just like you were saying um, with that. There is one question I do want to ask because I'm always, you know, I, I, I talk to a lot of individuals and one of the times sometimes people say, well, I hear this self-limiting belief about when I say I'll mention somebody's name and they're like, well, yeah, they're, they're, they're super successful. They had these circumstances that helped them get to that level and, or they had, they were lucky. And um, if it frustrates me for the type of work I do and I'm just like, man, you're missing the boat on what you can do. But how do individuals, how can they 
succeed in business or in life, you know, either or with uh, regardless of where their, their backgrounds from the things they face in life, the situations, the, the financial situations they're in and so much more. Oh, that's a great question. One of my favorite topics. Uh, and now I remember I realized I missed one of our eight practices, which is empowerment. And that's what you're talking about here is empowerment, which is the ability to change your situation, situation and live life by your own design. What is absolutely critical to living an empowered life by your own design is what we call absolute responsibility. And if you go to our YouTube page, we have a video on absolute responsibility. Now, absolute responsibility is not about fault or blame. That's what responsibility is about. Responsibility is about, you know, who is to blame or who's at fault for the situation that I'm in right now. Absolute responsibility is about one thing and one thing only, and it's owning the situation that you're in. The reason you have got to own the situation you're in, irregardless, regardless of who's at fault, is because you cannot change what you do not own. So as long as somebody is stuck in a victim mentality of, well, I was born poor or I, I didn't get to, you know, I'm not white or uh, I'm female or, um, and therefore I've been, been biased against or whatever it might be, or I didn't have money. As soon as you have that mentality, you will not change your circumstances, period. So adopting absolute responsibility or owning the situation and actually forgiving and releasing whoever may have caused the situation is absolutely critical to people moving their lives forward. I couldn't agree with you more on that. I, uh, in, in my first book, I talk about that in the form of karma. Uh, and, and a lot of times karma gets a misinterpretation that if you do bad, then you get bad things too. If you do good, you get good things to you. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen because there isn't a universal law that relates a little to that, but it, I was sharing about how when you go to the Sanskrit word of karma, what it really means, because I'm a big person on words, and it says to action. And it's the choices you've made in your past that lead you to where you are today. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people want to make choices, as you were bringing up, and I love the whole thing about the responsibility side you, you brought up about the situation you're in, right? Own that because that's what you've created mm-hmm. um, by the choices you've made. And if you can change that, uh, own it, owning it, then you just and you understand that it's just the choices you made. Change your choices, you can kind of somewhat change your life a little bit uh, mm-hmm. in that process. In that process. yes process. Yeah. So that's where you know where I'm at with uh, to think is to create. You uh, change your thoughts, change your decisions, which affect your um, actions and will ultimately change your results. So, yeah, you, you change your decisions, you will ultimately eventually change the results you have in your life. And we can always um, look at um, and understand uh, someone's thinking. So we basically can go, okay, you know, someone goes, you know, why? well, you know, I'm uh, thinking like a millionaire, but actually I'm poor right now. That, it's absolutely impossible. We can always see the reflection of your thinking is the situation that you are in. Your situation is always a perfect reflection of your thinking. And there is no hiding it, no disguising it, no running away from it. That is a universal law, is that your, your reality is a complete and perfect reflection of your thinking. Indeed, I wouldn't argue with there at all, my friend. Yeah, <clears throat> and I think too, then, you know, it's, it's that, um, in, in, if people can do that, we break out of that victim mentality that is very strong in society today. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I heard someone say this was a joke, and <laughs> really, they're like, where did the blame game begin? When do we start blaming people for our own response, our things that are happening in our life? And someone brought up the Bible about Adam and Eve. <laughs> That's <laughs> if, funny. If, if you look at the story, it's <laughs> who's blaming who there? <laughs> right. <laughs> I thought that was classic and awesome. That's but funny. anywho, um, one last question I wanted to ask is, this is something that, and we kind of hit it up a little bit with community and so forth, and I just want to revisit to make sure just to tie everything in. Uh, suicide is so huge in today's society. I mean, we see it in, you know, veterans, uh, massively we're seeing it in children more and more in uh, teenagers, um, and, and, and that drug use, uh, on the rise, psychotropic antidepressants and things along those nature. Um, why is this happening? Is it the lack of community? Is there other things? You know, I hate to, uh, overgeneralize, uh, and yet I'm going to overgeneralize. Um, and, you know, there are obviously people who have um, a biological predisposition to uh, alcohol and drug use. But as I heard one um, addiction specialist talk about it, they really said addiction uh, is a disease of disconnection. And so almost everyone who is in addiction is suffering from some level of isolation and um, disconnection. So, um, yeah, we, we we need to have more connection in our lives. Couldn't agree with you more. And I think too the the um, the saying I like to use a lot is individuals we're more co- we're 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 more connected in a world, but more disconnected with self. Yeah, and I think this is where when you bring up the whole thing on meditation and that part of things, I think when you can connect, that helps you reconnect better with you then from there you can all of a sudden up level, level up your life and everything that you do. Right. So when you meditate more, it reduces your anxiety. It increases things like serotonin and dopamine, which makes you more confident, increase your self-esteem. And so when you walk into a room of strangers and you're having those moments of anxiety, you actually has a reservoir of positive emotions and some chemicals in there too, to actually encourage you to start reaching out, which then begins a virtuous cycle of when you're in connection and feeling good about yourself and it keeps increasing, increasing, increasing. Uh, so, yes, the meditation is the beginning of helping create a, a virtuous cycle of connection. And then get with community. That's the big thing. Get with community. Got yeah, one last question for you. So, if you were going to leave the world, and when I mean by leave the world, that can be you're going to Mars, Jupiter, you're going somewhere, or it could be transcending, transcending back into non-physical. Whatever that you want to make yourself see it that way. What is a piece of advice that you would give to humanity before you left? So people's, um, long answer, uh, people's morality is actually subjective. Each one of us has to make a decision as to the goal of our morality. So some people might say, you know, my morality is based on following the word of God. Okay. Some people might say my morality is based on my own personal satisfaction. Whatever makes me happy is good, doesn't make me happy is bad. Other people might say morality is based on money. The more money you make, the better off I am. And the less money I make, you take money away from me, whether it be in 
taxes or, or costing more money, that is bad. Uh, my morality is based on human flourishing. I want people to flourish as much as possible without hindering or hurting anybody else. Uh, I think that moral code is absolutely critical to the survival of our species. Uh, and I would have every single person on the planet choose that morality. <laughs> if that was my last dying wish is that people were thinking about the collective good of all of us rather than any other selfish, more destructive moral code. You literally say the words, some of the words that I would say when it comes to the same question asked to me. So I, I love that about that answer and, and just love what you share there about having humans flourish, but at the same time, not suppressing others or harming others in that process, which I greatly appreciate. Uh, Peter, how can people connect with you, get a hold of you, keep up with what you're up to and all the amazing things you guys are doing? Thank you. So first of all, I can go to our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Thrive Union, or go to YouTube and search Thrive Union. Uh, subscribe to our channel. We have one or two new videos every single week. They are fun, educational, and edifying. Second way, you can visit our website, which is at thriveunion.org. Org. Uh, you can always, uh, if you're in Orange County, drop by and see us. And you can find all our contact information there at thriveunion.org. Awesome. Peter, this was fun. This was a fresh breath of air. Um, appreciate everything that you're doing, all the work you're doing, empowering community especially. Uh, it, it is very dear to my heart, and uh, I'm glad that there are people out there like yourself doing this type of work to really help bring the humanness back and green that community back to, uh, to just the humanity in general. Uh, I loved our conversation, uh, Dr. Vic. Uh, it's so nice to see that we're on the same page. Awesome. Well, and keep up the great work and uh, we'll be in touch next time. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For past shows, please visit www.empoweryourreality.com. I hope this show inspired you and added to your life to help you on the journey to rediscover who you really are. To connect with us on Facebook, please visit www.facebook.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. Check us out on Twitter. The handle is Dr. Vic 21. Follow us on Instagram, www.instagram.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. If you were inspired by the podcast, pay it forward by sharing it with someone who you know can benefit from it. Thank you again for listening to the Mindful Experiment podcast, sharing paths to help you rediscover your infinite potential. Oh,